All my burdens he lifts, all my sin he forgives. Every trial is won through the blood. So I rest my case at the cross. For now I have someone to champion my cause. I've been justified, satisfied, oh, I have it all. So I rest my case at the cross. I've been justified, satisfied, oh, I have it all. So I rest my case at the cross. Well, that's a good song, isn't it? Rest my case at the cross. Boy, I trust you're resting your case at the cross. Someone says, what do you mean your case? Well, we've been already condemned because of our sin. We've been sentenced even because of our sin. Long before we ever even reach eternity, it's already settled. But boy, I settled that case at the cross. It's handled. It's done. I mean, it's paid in full. Amen. The price that I owed for my sin because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Boy, I'll tell you what, I hope you've settled it at the cross. If you haven't settled it there, it's not settled yet, friend. It needs handled. Well, again, it's Easter, and boy, I'm so glad to see you. Uh, boy, what a great group that's gathered today, and so many of you have taken and gone to lengths to try to look your best, and I just want to at least commend you on that. I'm not saying it helped, but <laughs> no, I'm joking. You've done well. I, I saw these ladies right up front here on the front row, and I thought, my, we got a singing group scheduled to sing today, huh? I mean, they are perfectly matched, and I mean, they're looking sharp, and boy, I'll tell you what, that's, that's neat, that's awesome, and I appreciate the effort that goes into those things, and so many of us, so many of you have taken steps to just look your best, be your best on this resurrection morning, and that's wonderful, and we ought to do that, we ought to do that all the time, but it's good to do it certain times of the year, just to really just say, let's get it all out there, let's do a great job. Boy, I'll tell you what, the choir did such a good job today, thank you, choir, and uh, those groups, thank you, groups, and... Again, we're so thrilled to have you. Let's take our Bibles today, turn over to the book of Matthew. We want to get out of here at a good time. I know many of you are planning on spending some time with family probably, and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, that's, that's something we ought to do. And I, I, hope it's, I hope that even if you're struggling to see your family and uh, you know, touch base with them throughout other times of the year, that you make a point to get a hold of mom and dad and others and let them know that it's a happy Easter and that you're thinking about them, praying for them. That's important this time of year. Holidays are tough on people. They're difficult. And so, you know, sometimes, yes, they can be extremely joyous, but they can also be difficult. So make sure you're letting folks know that they're in your thoughts and prayers this day. All right, Matthew chapter 16. We're going to begin in verse 13 through 16. And this morning we're just going to ask a very simple question. As a matter of fact, it's already been asked. We're just going to repeat it, really. But in the book of Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13... We read, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, 
and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Boy, I like that. I mean, the Lord Himself, he, he, in our passage, He's asking the disciples a question. Whom do men say that I am? Who do they say I am? Now listen, Jesus Christ, of course, was born uh, 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 in, in Bethlehem, and in a, in a, in a, in there in a manger we find Him. And He grows up to be a man, perfect, sinless. And He's living His life. He's fulfilling His purpose for existing. He's doing exactly what He came to do. And along the way, He asks His disciples a simple question. Who do men say that I, the Son of God, or Son of Man, am? You know, they say, well, some say you're Elias. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. Uh, you know, that's who they say. He says, okay. He then turns to them, those that are, have lived with him, those that have traveled with him, those that have eaten dinner after dinner and breakfast after breakfast and lunch after lunch with him, those that literally have spent their lives over the last years serving with the Lord Jesus side by side. He looks at them and he, he asks the question, well... Whom say ye that I am? Who do you say that I am? And there amidst those disciples, one by the name of Peter speaks up and boldly declares, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, and Peter, of course, gets a bad rap. You know, let's face it. Old Peter, he's the one that denied the Lord, you know. And he, he uh, uh, you know, he just really had a... a, a big problem along the way in his Christian life, a big hiccup, if you will, a big bump in the road. Uh, you know, when we look at Peter, we say, man, that's the guy who denied the Lord, you know, three times. That's the guy who disappointed Jesus before he went to the cross. But, you know, there was a part of Peter, ultimately, we know God used him in a mighty way. There even at Pentecost, 3,000 souls were saved, and he kind of kicked off this thing that we understand the empowered church the way it is even now. Oh, the church was in existence. I'm confident of that. However, we see it empowered there at Pentecost, and God is doing a mighty work. And he's using the apostle Peter. And in this case, Peter steps up boldly and he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He made no bones about it at all. He was convinced. He was convicted about it. He says, I know what everybody else is saying. I know that some believe you're a prophet over here. You're this or you're that. But as for me, and I'm telling you what, I got to figure it out. I got to figure it out. Thou art the Christ. Thou art the Christ. You are the promised one. You are the Messiah. You are Emmanuel, God with us. You are the one Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy and promised would come when he said, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto whom, unto him ye shall hearken. I remember that prophecy, Lord. You're him. You're the one. You're the one that Micah spoke about, of being born in Bethlehem, when he said in Micah 5, 2, But thou, Bethlehem, Euphrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Man, I mean to tell you, Peter, he had it figured out. Men and women throughout history have had to face this question. And they've had to land on one side or the other.
And this morning, the question is asked of each of us. Whom say ye that I am? Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this opportunity that we have to gather today in these next few moments. Father, may you speak to our hearts. May we, Father, truly consider this question and answer it sincerely, honestly, in our own hearts. Lord, it's a question that only we can answer. No one can answer it for us. Help us, Lord, we pray. Show yourself real in our behalf. Holy Spirit of God, show up in this place. Fill me with your spirit. Fill each listener's with the Spirit of God, may we, Father, truly glean and grow as, Father, you would intend us to. And, Father, for every guest and every visitor today, we are thrilled and thankful for them. We pray you'd specially touch their hearts today. Be with each one that's in, uh, in attendance today as well. Father, we just know that without you, if you, your Spirit doesn't fall on this place, we'll have, Father, wasted our time. We need you, Holy Spirit of God, to move and work in our lives. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So men and women throughout history have had to face this particular question. And you know, we're going to land on one side or the other. Joseph, of course we know husband to Mary ultimately, came face to face with this question early on in his relationship with Mary, really. I mean, upon hearing the news about Mary being with child, you know, he's approached by the angel of the Lord who shared a supernatural story about a miraculous conception. I mean, Joseph says, wait a second now. You know, uh, wow. I mean, you're telling me that Mary's going to be with child and it's a child of the Holy Spirit? I mean, I mean that, that's a hard, big pill to swallow, folks. It says in Matthew 1, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Okay, she's going to be, be uh, uh, you know, have a child through the power of God himself. It's not, she's not going to need another man. She's, she's got God himself who's going to make that thing happen. A supernatural birth, conception. And boy, I'll tell you what, Joseph, I'm sure, was struggling a little bit at first. And he's thinking about, I mean, this girl that I'm about to marry, um, she's going to be pregnant. That's a rough one. And, and yet, the, the, the angel's saying, listen, she's not, not going to be that way because she's been wicked or sinning against me or doing something inappropriate. No, she is blessed indeed. Matter of fact, her character, character is impeccable. And, and she has kept herself pure and clean. And, and she has allowed herself to be a vessel unto me. And I'm going to use her because of her decision to remain so pure and clean and upright. So Joseph had to make a choice then. Is he going to believe God? Is he going to receive the word of God? Is he going to say, okay, you're God. You're you're the Christ. You're the one that knows what's going on. Or is he going to say, man, I just can't go with it. I can't deal with that. Well, whom say ye that I am, Joseph? He obviously believed Christ to be the chosen one, the Messiah, the promised one. Yep, that child that's in the womb of Mary is going to be God himself. Whom say ye that I am? I say you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're Emmanuel. God with us. The Bible speaks of him in Isaiah chapter 9. Turn there if you would please. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 and 7. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what it says here in Isaiah chapter 9. It's all the way in the Old Testament toward the middle of your Bible somewhere in there.
There in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Notice again, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, referring to Jesus Christ, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. He's going to be ruler. He's going to reign on the throne of David one day. He's going to be head over all nations one day. Oh, you say, but he came and he was crucified. He never took his rightful place. No, he followed through with the purpose of God. And because he followed through, you and I can be saved today. But one day he is returning, as we'll talk about next week and on. And he's coming back and he's going to establish his kingdom. And he's going to rule and reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem. He's on to say, He's wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Well, I'll tell you what, that defines Jesus Christ as none other than God Himself. Amen. We are glad today that we have a Lord Jesus Christ that died, was buried, and rose again. The grave could not hold Him there. Everyone down through history has had to face this particular question. Whom say ye that I am? I want to consider that woman at the well for just a moment. Jesus, of course, goes out of his way to meet with her there. He begins to converse with this woman at the well, and he reveals ultimately his true identity, and he begins to share with him that he is Christ, the Christ, that what he offers her is living water, not just water for her temporal need, not just water that would quench her thirst for the time being, but water that would quench her eternal thirst, her, her soul's thirst. He exposes her sin, but he expresses such great truth that finally she is overcome by him and understands that he indeed is who he claims to be. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. She knew one was coming. He's saying, whom say ye that I am? And when he is come, he will let tell all us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. She had a decision to make. I'm telling you, I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm telling you, I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. I'm Emmanuel, God with us. How will she respond? Whom say ye that I am, woman? Her response in verse 29 speaks volumes. She says, come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And I mean, she nailed it. She nailed it, man. She got it right. He says, whom say ye that I am? You're the Christ. You're the Christ. You are indeed the one that was promised to come to this earth. You are the one who was buried and rose again, that will be buried and rise again. You are the one that will set straight all the wrongs in this world. You are the one that's going to rule and reign on the throne of David. You are the one that is creator and God of the universe. Whom say ye that I am, though? He's asking us today. The jury may still be out, but let's pull a few of the jurors for just a moment. We've talked about them already. Peter, Peter, whom say ye that I am? Thou art the Christ. 
Joseph, whom say ye that I am? <laughs> Thou art the Christ. Woman at the well, whom say ye that I am? Oh, I'm convinced. Thou art the Christ. This jury has a consensus. And that consensus is that Jesus is none other than the Christ. The real question, as we said already, is this, though. Whom say ye that I am? Whom say ye that I am? Jesus had asked, who do men say that I am? Who do others say that I am? And, you know, there was a number of different responses, a number of different people that they claimed, a number number of varying opinions. I mean, some say that you're John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, we know, was a, a great man of God. Uh, and, and, and some say you're Elias. What a tremendous prophet Elias was. And some say Jeremiah. Oh, a weeping prophet. Man, he had compassion. Oh, or possibly just one of the other prophets. And those probably would seem to be pretty logical answers in one sense or another. At least the last one or one of the prophets. Because there are those that still claim Jesus was a prophet. They just don't want to believe that he was the Christ. But then he turns to those disciples, doesn't he? He turns to those that had followed him, those that had walked with him, those that had talked with him, those that had had lived with him, and those that had experienced his miracles firsthand, those that had literally observed his character and his cause. Whom say ye that I am? See, what really mattered was what they thought at that time. That's what really mattered to the Lord now. What do you say? And you know, today, Jesus turns to you. And he asks, whom say ye that I am? See, right now, it's not as important what others think. It doesn't matter what your mom or your dad or your, your, mom, uh, your, your grandma or grandpa, it doesn't matter right now what, what the world says or, or it doesn't matter what even a, a particular religious leader says. He's looking at us and he's directing his voice and his face and his attention to us as individuals. And he's asking the very same question that he asked the disciples that day. He's asking us, whom say ye that I am? Well, my friend says, I don't care what your friend says, whom say ye that I am? Well, I went to a Christian school and they said, no, whom say ye that I am? Well, my pastor says, no, 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 I'm looking at your heart, I'm looking at your life, I'm looking into your soul, and I'm asking you personally, whom say ye that I am? And you have to look Christ in the face and you have to answer the question. And not answering it is an answer. Your opinion alone, no one else's, determines your eternal destination and eternal future. You understand that? If you leave this question to be answered by someone else, you lose. Now, you can answer the question in the negative. You can say, well, I believe you're one of the prophets. I believe you are a good man. I believe that you are a decent person. I I don't even necessarily believe you existed. You could choose any of those answers or all of the above. But the only answer that's going to enable you to escape the consequences of your mortality and sin is thou art the Christ.
You know, there was a day when professing Christ as God and attributing the resurrection from the dead to him was socially, politically, and publicly endorsed. You realize that politicians used to go around, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Jesus Christ is God in flesh, rose from the dead. Jesus Christ is literally deity. I mean, that, that wasn't uncommon years ago. It wasn't uncommon uh, for, for uh, uh, different uh, government agencies to begin with prayer and to exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It certainly was definitely in vogue whenever this country began. Presidents spoke of it, talked about it, wrote about it. I mean, there was nothing taboo about Jesus Christ in those days. There was nothing that was, was um, you know, wrong about lifting up the name of Jesus Christ and proclaiming Him as God. Those things were all acceptable. Matter of fact, everybody, probably in the, in the day, it seemed like probably more than ever, people went to church like this on Easter morning. Why? Because everyone, almost everyone at least, believed whether or not they followed Him or not, they believed that He was Jesus, Christ, God in flesh, and that he rose from the dead. It was just the way things were. But things have definitely changed, haven't they? It wasn't that hard years ago to stand up and go, Oh, thou art the Christ. It wasn't very difficult to, You rose from the dead. It wasn't hard. Because even people that didn't serve the Lord, even folks that didn't go to church believed it. Or at least were taught it and held on to that truth. But that's not how it is today. Barna Research, I looked up some research. It says, while a majority of Americans indicated some type of spiritual connection with Easter, the research also showed that a majority of adults directly linked Easter to the Christian faith's belief in the resurrection of Christ. In all, 42% of Americans said that the meaning of Easter was the resurrection of Jesus. Think about that for just a minute. 42% of Americans said that the meaning of Easter was the resurrection of Jesus or that it signifies Christ's death and return to life. One out of every 50 adults, 2%, said that they would describe Easter as the most important holiday of their faith. Think about that for a minute. Only 2%, one out of every 50 adults, attributed Easter as the most important holiday of their faith. Now think, if we didn't have the resurrection of Christ, we would not be meeting here today. But it served no purpose to meet here. If He didn't rise from the dead, there is no purpose in us gathering and singing and praising the Lord. For what? Being dead? You know what I mean? Why would we, oh, let's raise up Jesus. He died like the rest of us will. There's nothing unique. There's nothing different. There's nothing special about Him. But let's all just worship Him, live for Him, and die for Him if need be. I don't know about you, but that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But the fact that he rose again makes the difference. That is the difference. And listen, you can believe in whatever faith or religion you want, but I'll tell you this, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I have a living Savior, not a dead one. And someone says, well, you don't know that he really rose from the dead. Well, there is an element of faith here, and all I have is the Bible, and it's been around a long time. Somebody had to create the world. Somebody had to create the universe. And I just got to believe that somebody left this little book called the Bible that's our love letter from God. And it explains to us what in the world's going on here because if we didn't have any direction, we'd end up like we are now in America. Amen. 
and a mess. Again, it shouldn't surprise us that only 42% of Americans said that the meaning of Easter was resurrection of Jesus or signified Christ's death and re uh, return to the life. That, that shouldn't probably, that shouldn't really surprise us as much uh, these days when you consider the following statistics. Although a core teaching of the Christian faith is the divinity and perfection of Jesus Christ, tens of millions of Christians, do you notice this? Now this is research. Tens of millions of Christians do not accept that teaching. What teaching don't they accept again? Would you remind me again, Barna? They don't accept the fact that Jesus Christ was divine and perfect. Isn't that amazing? He, he, go, he says literally tens of millions of Christians do not accept that teaching. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say more than one-fifth, 22%, strongly agree that Jesus Christ sinned when he lived on earth. 22% of Christians, by their own definition of Christian, or by the definition actually that Barna puts on Christian, strongly agree that Jesus Christ sinned when he lived on earth. That is alarming, is it not? One out of every five Christians say Jesus sinned when he lived on earth. An additional 17% agreed somewhat. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he probably did. So now all of a sudden, we're up to what? 39, almost 40% of Christians either boldly say he sinned when he was on earth or it's likely he sinned. Yeah. Isn't that amazing, really? 40%. Can you imagine that with me? Four out of every 10. That's amazing. Two out of every five. Holding the opposing view were 9% who disagreed somewhat and 46% who disagreed strongly. So there's 46% who disagreed strongly and 9% who disagreed somewhat. You know, you know, I don't want to go there. I'm, not I, I'm just not able to say that he sinned. I, I'm not. Uh, no, he didn't. 9%. And the other 46% said, no way. Jesus Christ was perfect and sinless. He never sinned. 6% didn't have an opinion on the matter. I mean, they're Christians. They just didn't have an opinion, though. Oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just a Christian. How would I know that? <laughs> You'd have to actually read your Bible and <laughs> go to church. <laughs> Are you being a little sarcastic? Yes, I am. Thank you. In 1 Timothy, the New Testament believers were instructed concerning Christ in His person. Look if you will in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 3.16. We're coming to a close here. I've got to get, get a couple of things under wraps here and then we're done. 1 Timothy 3.16. The Bible says, now again, the New Testament believer was instructed. God wanted us to have no doubt. God wanted us to be clear on who Christ is. And without controversy, 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy, without controversy. No debate here. We don't need to debate it. It's, it's confirmed. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. What in the world's a mystery of godliness? Good question. I'm glad he tells us. 
God was manifest in the flesh. You see what I'm saying? God was manifest in the flesh. First, in, in the book of John, chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, Jesus Christ. That's who He's talking about. He literally was God in flesh. Justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Acts chapter 1. There He goes. I'll be back. Jesus Christ. Note, if you would now, take your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 4. That's all the way to the end of the Bible. If you got to Revelation, if you get there, you've gone a little too far. Go backwards just a little bit. 1 John. Not Big John, but Little John. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Johns. Same guy, but just smaller books. Some of us know who Little John is. Big Chuck and Houlihan. And then it turned to Big, John, Big Chuck and Little John. Remember that? Maybe you've watched some of it. They were on the other night, I saw. I didn't watch for more than a couple hours. But anyway, <laughs> I really didn't. But anyway, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the spirit in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Wow. Now, again, this particular passage, we notice a couple of things. He, first of all, warns us to be careful. Now, again, he's, he's issuing a very strong warning, the apostle is. Under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's issuing a strong warning. He's trying to help us here today. And again, we're dealing with this idea that Christ, and in the New Testament, you know, was sharing with us who he is. Makes to make sure we do not miss who Christ really is. And here it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. He says, first of all, be careful. You need to be very careful. Um, we need to be very aware of the reality of false prophets, even in this generation. Now, back then, of course, we think, man, the church had to be very pure at that point. I mean, it was right to the beginning. It was right where Christ had just left. And now, you know, in Pentecost, the church is empowered, and people are going out starting churches, and lives are being transformed and changed. I mean, this has definitely got to be as pure as the church could have ever been. But let me tell you something. Even though it's way back there, even though the Apostle Paul is proclaiming the truth, and Peter and John and others are telling and sharing the gospel, the fact is, is that there are some false prophets, even in that day, that are sharing a false truth or so-called truth see when christ said he that is not with me is against me and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad he was drawing a clear line in the sand and he was saying listen now there are some that are going to stand on that side of the line there are some that are going to stand on this side of the line and, and, and it doesn't matter. You can have compassion for them. You can love them. And you ought to care about people. But the fact is there's going to be some on that side of the line and some on this side of the line. There are going to be some that say that I came in the flesh. And there's going to be others that say I was just a figment of a man's imagination or I was just any other man or any other prophet. But he says, listen, let me tell you something. You need to be convinced. 
See, be careful, but then we find, be convinced. In verse 2 and 3, we find that false prophets deny something. They deny the deity of Christ. That's what a false prophet does. That's what the passage is teaching us. He says, hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. You know what? You know how you come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is God? That He came in the flesh and He's God? That He's deity? Is the Holy Spirit of God witnesses that in your spirit? It is the Spirit of God again. And you now have the Spirit of Christ. That's the Spirit. So a false prophet denies the deity of Christ, though. And does not, and, and, and does so because they are influenced and directed by a spirit other than God's, then. The person who confesses Christ for who and what he really claims to be, God in flesh, is influenced and directed again by the Spirit of God. Right. So there is two diametrically opposed types or groups of people. The Bible says there's those that will deny the deity of Christ, that will not accept that he came in the flesh, God in flesh. There are those that will not stand on that truth. I don't care how nice they are. I don't care how big their ministry is. It doesn't matter to me whether they fly Lear jets or whether they take care of, they're a homemaker taking care of children. If they fail to have the spirit of Christ and understand that he, Jesus Christ, is the Christ, came in the flesh, God in flesh, then they are bearing the spirit of what? Antichrist. If they're not for me, they are against me. If they're not with me, they're not for me. And someone says, I don't like that. I don't think that's right. I think we're all God's children, and God loves everybody. It doesn't matter what you do, where you go, who you do it with. God's going to love us all, take us all to heaven, and everything will be just fine. You know what? And and the truth is, I want to believe that with all my heart. I, I want that to be the case. I wish that was the case. I wish there wasn't even a hell, to be quite frank with you. I wish there wasn't. But the problem is there is a hell, and God speaks of it boldly. He shares more and talks more about that almost in any other subject other than money in the Bible. And I just want you to understand that the fact is, is that you are either for or against Christ. You either believe that he came to earth as a man, God-man, lived a perfect sinless life, literally died on Calvary, was buried, and rose again, that he is God in flesh. Or you don't believe that. It's one of the two. You have a choice to make. Whom say ye that I am, he asked. Why is that important? Because you're going to make a decision to stand on one side of the line or the other. You need to be convinced. This passage, 1 John 4, 1 through 3, in essence is a litmus test concerning the valid faith or invalid faith. Okay, I want to know, is your faith real? The question I have for you today is, who's Jesus Christ? You can be religious. I'm not asking you, are you religious? The, the, the defining factor is, who do you say Christ is? Someone says, well, I believe he's a good man. He's on the other side of the line. Right. He, he's got the spirit of Antichrist. No, I didn't say that. That's what God's word says. He didn't get that from God. He got that from the world. It's the devil that doesn't want you to believe that Jesus Christ is God in flesh. Why? Because if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God in flesh, 
You can't get to heaven. You can't be part of God's family. You can't enjoy the blessings that God intends for you to enjoy. Listen, everything rises and falls on who Jesus is. If he is nothing other than a mere man, if he is just no better or no different than any of us, then we are wasting our time. And when we die, there'll be nothingness. But because he is the Christ, and he overcame the grave, so will we. In Colossians, we're reminded that Jesus is God of creation. In Colossians 1, 15 and 16, For by him, talking of Christ, were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And you go back to the, con- the, 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 the context of that passage, it's Christ. We're not talking about, you know, you say, well, yeah, but back in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Yes, He did. But the Bible then turns there and also in the book of Revelation stating the same truth, that all things were created by Him and for Him. Jesus Christ. He created all things, and all things were created for Him. You were created for His good pleasure. And so was I. Someone says, well, why wouldn't God just make a heaven then? And just Why wouldn't God just... All, make us all believers. Why wouldn't God just let that happen? Because God apparently doesn't want robots. God wants people. God wants us to love Him volitionally. He wants us to do it voluntarily. He doesn't want us to just love Him because we have to. He wants us to love Him because we want to. Peter was asked, Whom say ye that I am? And throughout the ages, every Man, woman, boy, and girls had to answer that question themselves. Again, only you can answer that question. You can't look left or right. You can't look up or down. You have to look inside. And someone may say today, I can't honestly say that I believe Jesus Christ is the Christ. I'm having a hard time with that. You know what? Let me say this to you. It's okay right now. You still got a moment. You still got some time, maybe. Here's the one thing you better do, though. You better not just walk out the door and say, well, I'm glad that's over. No, you ought to be going, God in heaven, if you're really there, You need to be real to me in a way that I can't deny you. i got to know. Because, Lord, if I fall on the wrong side of this question, if I answer the wrong way, for eternity I will pay for that. And right now I'm confused. And right now I don't have the answers. And right now I I can't say for sure. But I've got to settle this one way or the other. I need to know. If you came to me and said, Preacher, I just can't tell you for sure whether I really believe that, and I would get mad at you. Not at all. But I would encourage you to spend time every day trying to figure it out. I'd try to encourage you any way I could with Scripture. I'd try to give you anything I could to help you understand that Jesus is the Christ. 
Maybe you don't have it settled, but in your heart something's stirring today. And you're going, you know what? I heard growing up my whole life about this Jesus. But you know, I didn't really take it as serious as I should have. I'm a little older now. I've lived a little bit of life. I see how things turn and how things go. And there's something to it. There's something to him. I need him. I believe that Jesus did come to earth, live a sinless life, died on Calvary and rose again the third day. I, I'm confident. I do believe that. And I need him to help me get to heaven because I can't do it myself. I know that for sure. So I just need him today. You know what, if that's you, you need to settle that today. There's a few verses and promises that God gives us in the scriptures that will help to solidify a decision like that that will help you to see it for yourself in the word of God and give you a confidence and know that when you walk out the door, you have his word on it, not just a preacher's word. And you can begin life anew and afresh. Maybe today you need to do that. Maybe you're a child of God today. You already know the Lord. You, you've, you've been saying, thou art the Christ, like Peter said for a number of years now. But just remember, everywhere we go today, there is an enemy tearing down that truth in the lives of others. Look at the, the statistics we read. Think about where we'll be in another 10 years. Think about how few young people are learning that thou art the Christ. But well, we need to do something about that. Maybe today, just maybe in your chair or at an altar, you say, Lord, I do believe thou art the Christ. Help me to help others learn that too. Jesus asked Peter, Joseph, and the woman at the well. Now he asked us this morning, whom say ye that I am? He's waiting for a reply. Father, we come to you.